Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. Today, Dr. Newfeld continues his series, The Gospel Alternative to the Cultures of Men. And we'll be looking at a message entitled, Singleness and Marriage, found in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. Let's join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm reading 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 11. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. We've been talking about singleness and living life of a married person. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul has been stressing the advantage of remaining single. He says that singleness provides a focus on Christian service that married people can't compete with. And yet, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, he commends marriage. Furthermore, in marriage, Paul commands marriage partners not to sexually defraud the other. There is a debt to sexual intimacy that both partners need to acknowledge and share. Now, historically, North American courts allowed for an annulment when a marriage was not consummated. Now, the idea behind that is that in the eyes of the court, no marriage had taken place where sexual intimacy was not a part of a marriage. There was a biblical ideal. Marriage may be about sharing life together, having children, and playing out the mystery of Christ and his church. But marriage is also, says Paul, about sexual satisfaction and the bodily care for each other. Every once in a while, in a bad marriage, sex becomes a weapon in which denial of the other is used as a tool. Now, this violates the covenant that was made. And of course, this is not a command that makes outrageous demands on the other, but it is a command in which both parties offer themselves to each other. Now, having made that point, Paul moves on from that thought to the one he expresses in verse 5. Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. See, Paul now argues that there are exceptions to the rule that he has laid down. There are times in which a married couple might practice abstinence, but when they do so, they do so for a limited period of time, and they do so for the purpose of prayer. See, there are times that prayer means abstinence. Now, just to be clear, this is not commanded. Look at verse 6. I say this as a concession, not a command. It seems that the Corinthian church, that there were those who strongly insisted that seasons of extended prayer and fasting should also be accompanied by abstinence also as a spiritual discipline. Well, is there biblical precedence for that? Well, the answer, yes, there is. For instance, in Exodus 19, verses 14 and 15, just before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the people were instructed as to how they were to prepare themselves. It says, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. 
And so in a spirit of expectation that God was going to speak, abstaining from sex was a part of preparing oneself. You see, prayer can both include abstaining from food, a matter we call fasting, and also abstaining from sexual relations, and for that matter, abstaining from something that the body desires. But on this matter, Paul also lays down a principle. If this is what you do, you can't decide on your own. You do so in agreement with your mate. It's a mutual decision. There's something about marriage in which it should be known that a person no longer acts as if they were single. Choices are no longer your own. Many of life's choices are made together. Let me suggest some examples. Most Christian marriage counselors, when counseling a couple seeking to get married, will tell them never to have a separate bank account. When a man and a woman become one, they learn to share all things, and that includes money. See, I, for one, encourage married couples to agree not to spend a large amount of money without both of them freely agreeing to do this. I mean, that would include buying cars and houses and the like. I encourage married couples not to go on separate vacations. I encourage them to mutually agree how they will spend their spare time. I encourage them to discuss and agree on a host of things that single people might never even think about. I encourage married couples to think in a way that makes their lives significantly different than the lives of singles. I remember once being invited to a Catholic seminary, and we were discussing the theological differences between Catholics and evangelical Protestants. We ended up in a warm and yet a very direct debate. The meeting went on, and the debate became quite involved and fascinating. And at one point, I looked at my watch, and to my surprise, it was nearly midnight. I got up and said I had to go. And a number of the young men in that class urged me to stay. There was so much more that we needed to talk about. And I said, well, that's another difference that we have. I have a wife, and by now, she's worried about what's become of me. You know, if I was single, I'd stay here till three in the morning, but not this married man. I have a prior commitment to the wife of my youth, and that's the point that Paul's wanting to make. In verse 7, he says that he wishes that all were as he himself is. He's a single man, and yet he acknowledges that each has his gift from God. So please understand that the the man saying these things should know the difference. See, we do know that at one point in time, Paul was married. In fact, we know that because he had been a Pharisee, and all Pharisees had to be married. The Jews believed that marriage was preferred over the single condition. But look ahead to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Here Paul writes, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brother of the Lord and Cephas? And by the way, the name Cephas is a reference to the apostle Peter. Clearly, Peter the apostle was married. But Paul, at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, is a single man. Now, how did he get that way? Well, we don't know. One theory says that he was a widower. And that could be, and if so, Paul decided not to remarry. See, he would have decided that he could discipline himself sexually so that he did not need a wife. It might also be true that his original wife left him upon Paul's conversion. That might explain his interest in such matters. In any case, Paul has come to realize all the benefits of being single. 
He's able to give himself so completely to his call. He's able to travel. He gets persecuted. He goes through terrible suffering without anyone at home wondering how things have turned out for him. See, he's free, and he's delighted to be that way. But he says everyone has his own gift from God, and with that gift came his call to be a missionary to the Gentiles with all the rigors and financial uncertainties, never mind the threats to his own life, as well as his sufferings. So when Paul says each has his gift from God, he's inviting his readers and us to examine our giftedness. It's not a failure to find a husband or a failure to find a wife. Rather, singleness is a gift from God. The sad part is that sometimes singles will not understand that. Instead of volunteering, instead of a full calendar of ministry assignments, they may sit at home and be angry with God and not give thanks for the gift they have been given. See, I can't begin to stress how different and unique both the life of marriage and the life of a single is. And that brings us back to my initial statement. Some singles spend untold longings for marriage, and some married people spend longings for the single life. Do you understand that your marital position obligates you to a special call? Let me tell a story. Some of you saw the movie Cool Runnings. It was the first ever Jamaican bobsled team to go on to the Olympics. John Candy plays a former American gold medalist who becomes a coach of the Jamaican team. At one point in the story, the coach's dark history comes out. In an Olympics following his gold medal performance, he broke the rules by wading the U.S. sled, bringing disgrace upon himself, his whole team, and his country. One of the Jamaican bobsledders couldn't understand why anyone who had already won a gold medal would cheat on the next Olympic Games. And finally, he nervously asks his coach to explain, and the coach tells him why. He said, I had to win. See, I learned something. If you're not happy without a gold medal, you won't be happy with one either. See, indeed, this is true of every area of life and also in marriage. If you're not satisfied now, you won't be satisfied when things change. If you're not a happy single, you're not going to be a happy married person. And if you're not happy married, you wouldn't be happy if you were single. Accept your call as a gift from God. What becomes clear from Dr. Newfeld's teaching is that we need to embrace the calling that God has for each of us. Embrace your calling and use it for the honor of God more when we return. To suggest Back to the Bible Canada is blessed with faithful ministry friends that stand with us is an understatement. Daily we receive words of encouragement, incredible testimonies, often accompanied by gracious gifts of support. In June, a group of friends came together to offer a match pledge of $75,000 toward our fiscal year-end campaign. We're thrilled to celebrate the result of that campaign but also shared that the same group has provided an additional $75,000 match pledge for July to ensure we begin a new year of ministry strong. So again, for July, every gift you give is matched dollar for dollar up to $75,000. Whether you're a regular giver or considering giving for the first time, what a great opportunity to maximize your donation. Join us this month in support of our $75,000 match campaign by calling one 800 6632425 or visit backtothebible.ca 
I once knew a couple that got married and moved in together, but clearly marked all possessions with a his or a her sticker and blew it in pink. In fact, whenever they bought anything, they would clearly indicate who paid for it and with whose money, and so they kept things straight. You know, I always wondered who owned the marriage bed, but I, but I never asked. But they had an explanation for this. They thought the marriage might not last, and the more clearly they marked stuff, the easier would be their divorce. At least they wouldn't fight about money. You do wonder why they got married in the first place. One does hear these stories every once in a while, and frankly, given the frequency of divorce, one is not surprised. But most couples, when they stand at the altar, do promise to stay together until death parts them. At least that's their intention on their wedding day. But one-third of all marriages in Canada will end up in divorce. In the last 40 years, the divorce rates in this country have gone up by about 600%. A third of all marriage breakups involve children, and children of divorce are often most likely to encounter poverty. Almost everyone knows someone who's divorced. Many have gone through the trauma of divorce themselves. You know, it's tough. It can be humiliating can change your social and financial status, and it can deeply affect one's sense of well-being. Marriage problems are not unique to modern times. I've mentioned that in the Roman world, it was not uncommon to find people who had been divorced 20 times. And so the Corinthians wrote Paul a letter, and first of all, they wanted to know if it was better to be single or married. But they also wanted to know what God had to say about those individuals who were already married. How should married people live? Is marriage for life? What should you do if you're in a difficult marriage? Does God have clear instructions? In order to describe what God wants out of marriages, Paul sets out to describe God's will for four different groups of people. The first is what is referred to in our Bible as the unmarried. Look again at the beginning of verse 8. To the unmarried, it says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. I want you to notice whom Paul is addressing here. The reference to widows is clear. Now, I think he is mentioning widows because in the New Testament church, widows were a special cause for concern because most of them were subject to poverty. But in 1 Timothy 5, Paul will outline the Christian commitment to widows. But who does Paul have in mind when he speaks of the unmarried? Does he mean people who have never been married? Or does he mean people who have been divorced? Who does he mean? You know, interestingly enough, this word unmarried is one of those rare words, and it's found only four times in the entire New Testament, and all four occurrences are right here in 1 Corinthians 7. Those occurrences are in verse 8, verse 11, verse 32, and verse 34. I want you to look again at verses 10 to 11. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. You know, it's clear from this verse that the unmarried can be a divorced woman. So whatever we make of the category of unmarried, it can be people who were once married and now are not. In other words, the unmarried are all the people who are now unmarried, regardless of how they got there. Now, what does Paul say to the unmarried? Well, two things. First, seek satisfaction as a single. It really is amazing how some people will treat a single. I hear singles saying this all the time. Everyone is just trying to set me up with someone. 
or we will do the same to widows and widowers. It's as if the rest of us married folk can't bear the thought of a satisfied, fulfilled, purposeful single man or a woman. It's as if we're consumed that something is wrong with the single condition, and we're determined to fix that for that person. Listen, if that's you, here's a word for you. Stop. It is good for single people to remain single. Do you remember Anna in the temple? Jesus was brought there as a baby, and there a woman named Anna blessed him. I think if some of us today had been around, Anna wouldn't have had the time for her prayer ministry. You know, we would have been setting her out on dates or at least signed her up for ChristianMingle.com. Now, can you say with Paul, verse 8, it is good to remain single. Some of you can't even hear that out. There are, Paul wants to say, great advantages of being single. His counsel, if you're unmarried, especially if you became that way, remain that way. Now comes the second piece of counsel. You may seek marriage under certain conditions. Please notice that I said under certain conditions. But you'll notice that the rest of the passage actually defines what some of those conditions are. But notice also that there is a clear word from the Lord for married believers. In verse 10, Paul issues a command, and here he says, and this command is from the Lord. To put it plainly, he means that the command he is giving is simply repeating what Jesus actually said during his earthly teaching ministry. The command is, the wife must not separate from her husband. So what teaching does Paul have in mind? Well, listen to Christ's teachings in Mark 10, verse 2. Pharisee came up in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now you can see that this is a vague question. The Pharisees knew that the book of Deuteronomy allowed for divorce, but they were trying to trap him. Some Bible teachers think they were trying to draw him into a debate about the scandalous marriage of King Herod Antipas, who married his brother's wife, hoping to get Jesus to say something that would cause him to get arrested. But Jesus will have none of it. He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. That's the teaching. The only reason there is a provision in the Bible for divorce is because of the rebelliousness of human beings who insist on going their own way regardless of what God wants. Now then, that's exactly what Paul is referring to. You see, he is speaking to Christians whose hard heart has taken them away, and as the prophet Ezekiel would say, we are to be given a heart of flesh. Fundamental to the life of the believer is that we have become receptive, not to rebelliousness, but to obedience. Not obstinate, but walking in the Spirit, not walking in death. And so the teaching that every marriage was joined together by God is true. And if that's true of every marriage, how much more so of every Christian marriage? See, if you're a believer and you are married, have a hard look at your husband or your wife and say to him or say to her, honey, the reason we're married is because God in his sovereign design decided to make us holy in this marriage relationship. See, you might think that your wife is hard to live with, 
But God in his sovereign wisdom knew that only such a woman would help you to be holy. So don't resist God. He has designed the perfect spouse for you, not the perfect marriage. And that's the spouse that you got, Buster. So what is God's will for you if you're married? Well, here's his will. His will is that you're married for life. And that's exactly what Jesus taught in Mark 10, 10 to 12. And the house of disciples asked him about this matter again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. In other words, the state may issue a divorce, but God didn't. And because God didn't, you're not free to marry anyone, period. Now, I know that I've not taken up the exception clause that's found in Matthew. That is, that adultery does break the marriage bond. But what Jesus taught is a general rule. If you have fallen out of love with your spouse, too bad. Since you're bound to her or to him for life, you might as well just fall right back in love with them again. If after marriage, you've decided that you have a gift of singleness, too late, Bubba. You have just been given the gift of marriage. Accept and embrace it. You are married for life. If you want out, just wait a little bit. You're going to die soon enough, and then I promise you, your marriage will end. Until then, learn to love him, learn to love her, and sacrifice yourself for him and for her, and learn the kind of life that God has specifically designed for you. John, thanks for today's message. I think you feel passionate about it. I think you use Buster and Bubba in the same paragraph. That's fantastic. But listen, what about this whole marriage thing, this whole idea of falling out of love or becoming discontent or, or, or not having the ideal spouse? What's all that about? Yeah, yeah and you know, that's, what's even more fascinating, Ben, is that many of us find out that our spouse doesn't have the ideal spouse either, you know? So, and... And part of this embracing of God's call on my life is to recognize that when marriage occurs, two broken, sinful human beings get married, and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess every single time. And I have found out that unless a couple learns to forgive each other and warmly embrace and accept each other, welcome each other into each other's arms, and, and, and long for the other, train their hearts to do so, no marriage will work. I mean, there are no two people that naturally fit together simply because of the fallenness within us, but it's a call. Thanks so much, John, for today's message. And please join us again tomorrow right here at Back to the Bible Canada leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Our friend and monthly partner, Alan, wrote us this note. The Bible teaching I received from Back to the Bible is of an outstanding caliber, and Dr. John Newfeld's delivery of the content is thoughtful, honest, and clear. I'm so happy that the program is available to me daily in my home and to others across Canada. I want it to continue, and that's why I chose to become a monthly partner. Ellen, among hundreds of others, have chosen to join our Partner to Tell monthly partnership program. Their gifts every month have become the backbone to this and all of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. 
If you value the teaching of Dr. Neufeld, the encouragement from Laugh Again, or the importance of in doubt speaking into the lives of young people, would you join this important group today? Become a Back to the Bible Canada Partner to Tell monthly partner by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.